I'll go start the coffee. I'll be down in a minute. Scooby-dooby-dooby-doo-wop. Pastor and Laura, wake up. Good morning. Morning. All right, we are reading through a chapter of the Bible a day. If you haven't listened from the beginning, that's fine. You can jump in whenever you want. Hopefully it all makes sense. We have been reading the book of Acts. We read chapters 1 through 19 so far. This is our 20th chapter today. Yeah, and we're just having a conversation in our Bible study and talking back and forth. We just read and then come up with questions or like aha or things we noticed. Which means sometimes we miss things. And one of the things we missed, and somehow in chapter 18, at the end of it, they started on their third missionary journey. So... Wait a minute. We just got done saying that was the end. (laughs) Ephesus was the end of the second. No, Ephesus is the beginning of the third. Mm. So they went back and... Not according to this map. Here it says it starts in Antioch. Right. The third one starts in Antioch. Okay. So they went... The third, yeah, starts in Antioch. So after they were in Corinth on the second one, then they went back to Jerusalem, probably so Paul could bring uh, that vow, the Nazar... Nazarite. Nazarite vow that he was taking. He may have had to go there for purification of some sort. Then he went back up to, into Antioch, and then Antioch sent him out again. So, um, it's a little confusing to me. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of facts in here, and, and it's understandable. Well, it's understandable why, you know, someone reading through this. I mean, we did it. It happens, where. Things get a little out of order, and we have to take some time and study and realize well, and we're your wrong. Charts and maps that you're referencing are also um, you using sources such as like historians and other things to place mm-hmm. them in certain spots at certain times because it does not give us times or dates here in the Bible. Yeah, many of the the dates that we receive are kind of based off of uh, when the persecutions happen. So that's a lot of time with the letters. Like if Paul is referencing the uh, that persecutions will come or are coming, then we decide if it's in the 50s or when the big persecutions happened around 60 and 61. So anyway. Well, yesterday, or our last podcast I should say I always say yesterday because we do these every day except Sunday but we won't be recording or releasing them every day so sorry about that inconsistency (laughs) but we had just previously read chapter 19 where he stayed for two years in Ephesus and then at the end the idol makers who were losing money got mad and then the city clerk finally had to calm every down, everyone down. And um, and then it ended where it said he dismissed 
the assembly, and today, chapter 20, starts with uh, through Macedonia and Greece. So, I will begin reading, and I think if you have a Bible nearby you or a Bible app on your phone, following along probably will benefit you the most. Read, listening to me read is fine, but uh, when I think when you see the words, too, it helps it to click rather than just kind of like zoning out while someone reads it to you. But yeah, The more senses you can get involved with taking in God's word, the better. Because so. I'm reading it, but I'm also just waking up. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the joy of the starting your morning with Jesus, but also I know I'm not reading at my very, very best, even though I'm trying, if you're following along, you'll be able to make sense of of this a little better. Anyway, I'm reading out of the NIV, uh, should be similar to the NIV you're reading, but there are my versions slightly older, uh, and if you have any questions about the translations or differences in wordings, feel free to reach out and email, or if you have questions about anything else, pastor at thespringslutheran.org. Alright, so getting started, Acts chapter 20, verse 1. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months because the Jews made a plot against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria. He decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by... Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristocrus and Secondus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi at the fe- after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and after five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. So just a reminder in this section, the we is Luke, the author Luke of Acts. would also be included. And yeah. Paul. Mm-hmm. And maybe someone else, we don't know. And it seems like he just keeps collecting more people yeah. that are there. So last time it was, uh, well, the first missionary journey... Yeah, he continues to collect people. He had Timothy. Collect sounds weird. Uh, take people along on these <laughs> journeys to train them better. I think, according to my note here, it's mentioned in uh, Romans and Second Corinthians that they were delegates appointed to accompany Paul. So Paul is not collecting them necessarily. They have been appointed by their churches and... Um, which is probably good that it's not like, a, I don't want to say dictatorship, but like it's not Paul's choice. You're coming with me. You're good enough. You're not good enough. The churches are deciding that. Is that and, probably more accurate? Yeah, and it was a thing that, according to Jewish law, if you were going to witness something, you always needed to have at least two sources that did it. So if he has people from all of these different synagogues that can corroborate his story of the works that he has done and what he 
that these people have been converted to the way, it would give a lot more weight to his story, his account. So, on the first day of the week, I'm sorry, I'm starting at verse seven. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and, because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs rooms where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Well, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Anything you want to say about that section? Yeah, it's, uh... (laughs) Well, they didn't have air conditioning. So if you have a lot of people in an upper room with a lot of lamps spurting, this person would be trying to get cooled down a little bit, sitting in a window. And it's not that Paul was a boring speaker, which sometimes we jump to here. But it, <laughs> well, if people fall asleep during... I think people just fall asleep because it's midnight. I'm not, I don't think anybody... I fall asleep far before midnight. Right. And, uh, you know, I I think maybe we've all been there where you are excited to see someone, a visitor, a friend, or or someone comes to town and you, they come over or they're maybe staying at your house and you stay up late talking Mm -hmm. and you just don't want the night to end, even though everyone's exhausted and they know they should probably go to bed. You just keep talking till way past your bedtime because you just don't want to miss out on any of the minutes you have with that person. And, you know, because he wanted to leave the next day, everyone's, you know, if he was going to stay for two years, people probably say, okay, we're leaving. See you tomorrow. But nobody is really heading out. They're all really excited to be there, even if they can't physically uh, keep up. And... Yeah, so he, it says, just say it really short, you know. He falls down dead. He says, don't be alarmed, he's alive. And then they took him home alive. So they don't really give us much many details, but that's okay. No, and I, I think it's the only time that the Apostle Paul raises someone back to life. Okay. And besides the three raisings, um, well, four of Jesus in the New Testament, of himself the widow at Nain's son, Jairus' daughter, and Lazarus. This is the Apostle Paul for the fifth in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there were, there are five as well. Didn't we just read about someone being raised from the dead? Or in Acts, or am I misremembering? We did. I could, be, I could be misremembering. I could be thinking of... Um, in Mark, because I know you and I just read Mark as well, so... Yeah. Okay, well, well, we'll think on that. Let's keep reading. Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders, verse 13. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. We, he had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. 
When he met us at Essos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos and went on the following day, arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came to the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have decided to both Jews, or I have, sorry, <clears throat> verse 21. I have declared to both Jews and, and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of, you, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am an innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up, give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. Then they all wept as they embraced and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never again see his face. Then they accompanied him onto the ship. So... That's the whole chapter 20. Mm-hmm. He decided he was not going to stop in Ephesus, but he stopped in Miletus. Miletus? Which Am is I saying just, that correctly? Yeah, okay. which is just outside of it. So it seems that there is... He does does not want to go like, into the city. Yeah. And he calls for the elders to come out and meet him in this right, other place. Because last time there was that big riot that right. took place. Right. So he brings them out. And he talks to them. This whole, this whole uh, second half of the chapter is pretty much this speech to them, mm-hmm. where he's encouraging them. And is this is this speech written before he writes the letter to the Ephesians? Yes. Okay. So this is one of the last things he says to the elders, and then while he's traveling about, or actually I don't know why well, he's not going to be traveling. He's going to be in prison soon soon and Ooh, then he's gonna spoilers. he's gonna write a lot of letters <laughs> while he's there right 
to these okay. people and saying so he's visit. saying this stuff to them and then later while he's in prison he'll write the letter to the ephesians mm-hmm. to these same ephesian elders yeah and i mean to have 70 is it isn't it 70 elders that come out to see him well i didn't catch the is there a number? number maybe not maybe um, i'm just imagining that from somewhere else uh, but anyway, he said he sent for the elders from the church when they arrived. He said to them, and then it just goes into okay. his sermon. Well, anyway, there's there's a large amount of elders that are here. It's going to become this central hub for Christianity in Ephesus. And he clearly loves these leaders of the church, you know, as brothers in Christ, uh, weeping for each other. And he knows that when he goes back to Jerusalem, the same people that he worked for to go around and arrest Christians have now gained somewhat enough power and influence to want to persecute him. And uh, it probably means jail. It could mean that, you know, they're going to try and kill him in some way. But he knows that he has to stand up and do this and He's in a rare position being a Jewish person and having Roman citizenship that he can just continue to preach in front of people of power and authority and appeal all the way up to Caesar. So that was similar to us in the United States that if we believe we're innocent and the next court above finds that there's injustice, we can continue to appeal our cases all the way up to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. So they could go all the way up to the, you know, Caesar himself, and mm-hmm. Paul was prepared to do that. Anything else you wanted to say about his farewell to the Ephesians, or anything that you were noticing? I guess I was, you know, I was thinking about our, you know, the chapter 19 where he was in Ephesus for two years. And then it seemed like everything was going well until that group of silversmiths, or I don't know if they were silversmiths, the idol makers were, they they had that big uproar at the end. But it seemed like everything was going well before that. And then several times he mentions in here, savage wolves will come from your own number. Never stop watching, always be on guard. And all these warnings, which I think would make me paranoid. (laughs) Like, uh, I thought our church was fine. Now, like, looking around, like, from within, is it going to be one of these elders who says something? Or, you know, who's going to be the savage wolves that Paul warned us about, you know? It's kind of a, I don't know, to me it seems ominous because it didn't seem to me earlier that there were a lot of problems except for those the group that we know about Mm -hmm. but i don't know well he he wants them to stay very vigilant and connected to god's word uh, as he's gonna say to timothy eventually watch your life and your doctrine closely because if this is obviously you don't ever want to be like complacent or assuming anything you want to check everything with the bible which i guess is not technically written at this time no 
But, but in six years, there's going to be a massive persecution. In 15 years, Nero is going to burn down the city of Rome and blame the Jews and the Jewish Christians for it. So it's, it's going to get bad soon. And when persecution happens, there are going to be some people that show their faith is strong and the Holy Spirit will work in them. And there's going to be other people that are going to show great weakness and turn on the Christians. Um, people who might have been hypocrites from the start or just weak in the faith and the devil pulls aside. So he wants them to be encouraging each other and vigilant because the Holy Spirit has revealed to them it is not going to be easy and not... not I mean, well, these aren't normal persecutions. No. And he says in a lot of other places to a lot of other groups that it's not easy and that you will be persecuted in different ways. And those words are still true to us, even though it's not necessarily like a Nero persecution will face hardships because of the truth. And it... it I mean, when you do face those hardships, something that people can slip into is if all of these bad things are happening to me, that means that I have angered God in some way. And especially to people that came up from a Greek background where they're constantly manipulating their gods and offering sacrifices to their gods for rain or good luck or fortune and things. And all of a sudden they're being persecuted and people are being killed. It'd be easy for them to just even subconsciously think, this must be because I personally did something wrong. I am worshiping the wrong God. I am doing these things. And Paul wants to remind them that just because you experience hardship in this life does not mean that your God does not love you and does not change the fact that Jesus died on the cross for all of your sins. There are just hardships that happen in this life, and all of the evil that's here is the work of the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh trying to pull us away from God and convince us he doesn't really love us, so you shouldn't love him. Mm. So he's trying to keep them on the, on the right path so they can keep each other strong. And then I'm noticing in my Concordia Self-Study Bible, there's a note on verse 35 where Paul says, Remember the words the Lord Jesus said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. The note says this is a quotation from Jesus from First Clement, chapter 46, verse 7. This is a rare instance of a saying of Jesus not found in the canonical Gospels. Mm-hmm. So, what's First Clement? There are many different books that were written throughout the history of the Bible. So, all the way back from the book of Enoch to the letters of the kings that are referenced many times in First, Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles... Uh, Jude is going to mention a number of different books. And um, these books 
including the Apocrypha, which is the wisdom of Ben Sira and Maccabees, they contain parts of truth. Many of them are written by people who want are believers in the one true God that are writing the history to the best of their ability. But that is different than something being written by the Holy Spirit. And the way we know something is written by the Holy Spirit is that God has given his word to the church. And the true word of God creates the church. It's not the other way around. It's not that the church chose these books and said, oh, we like this one and we don't like this one. Mm -hmm. God is the one that made these books evident to the church, knowing that this is the wisdom he wanted to give to them. And then the church is the one that received them as truth. So um, just because he quotes... I mean, we just read in Athens that the Apostle Paul quotes a poet from the Greeks. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that everything that poet wrote is God's word. Correct. It just means that it is referenced here. And Mm -hmm. the same is true here. It's something that's referenced, but not everything. He's referencing something Jesus said. And Jesus obviously said a lot of things that are in the Bible. Because there's just not enough. Documenting three years of someone's life would be... A big undertaking and we wouldn't have time I mean well someone would have time to read it all but it's not what God thought was necessary for us mm-hmm. so but this this statement it's more blessed to give than receive you know sometimes I think we hear that a lot and think it's just some like cliche but Jesus said it mm-hmm. according to this so well in the word it's also interesting in the in the Greek, the word blessed is the same as the word for happy. Okay. So, so and it's so true. So it's more happy. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, there is a lot more happiness in giving something than getting something. If you give something, it just, I don't know, continues. Anyway, we can ponder on that for a while, but <laughs> I don't want to go too deeply into it. Being it was honest. just interesting. Well, and then even then, this little sermon I think I read it in like two minutes but do you think he called these elders to come to a different city and just talk to them for two minutes and they left or probably said quite a few more things to them that aren't recorded Mm -hmm. so this is just like a summary there's one paragraph here about um, keep watch over yourselves and the savage wolves and stay awake day and night then the second paragraph Um, about silver and gold and how you support yourself and take care of each other, blessed to give than receive. And then it says, then he said this, he knelt down and prayed. And it's like the the whole speech. Well, that can't be all he said, but that's all that's mentioned. And um, Well, actually, there was one, one paragraph before, sorry, where he was telling them how the Holy Spirit guided him. So three three paragraphs according to this account that he said to them. But I would assume that he said some more things and those maybe aren't recorded for whatever reason. And um, they are, I think, that the end, the takeaway, 
they're the most sad about him saying that he would never see them face to face again. And that would be something hard for mm-hmm. for them to hear and for him to say. Now, is it that he feels like it's not his plan to come back or is it that he's received word from the Holy Spirit that he's going to die before he gets back or it's just not his will that he be there anymore they need to learn how to run this church on their own or do you have any insight into that as we close this out it seems like he's been revealed hit by the holy spirit more than just kind of a feeling for how things are going to going to go okay uh so he'll go and experience it and it'll be yeah he'll I mean, in his letters, he'll say, oh, I wish I could see you, I hope to see you, but he doesn't know how it's going to happen. But it seems that this is revealed to him. But we'll keep going and learn more about it tomorrow. Yeah, next time, Chapter 21. Okay. Have a great day. scooby dooby dooby doo wop Pastor Randall, wake up.